In today's episode, I speak with Ms. Sharon Content, the founder of Children of Promise NYC. I try to volunteer at Children of Promise NYC in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn every Saturday because it's an incredible organization that mentors kids whose parents are incarcerated. It's an organization that's really near and dear to my heart, so I highly recommend this particular episode. We talk about the operations of actually planning and starting a nonprofit, building it up, and some of the challenges that unfold along the way. If you're a social entrepreneur like myself, you'll especially like this interview, so please be sure to have a listen. I'm Chloe Valdery, and once again, welcome to the Theory of Enchantment podcast. So, Miss Sharon Content, um, as you know, I have been obsessed with your organization, Children of Promise, for the better half of the past two years. And of course, and I would love if you could tell all my listeners, you know, how you built this amazing organization. You know, what was it like coming up with the idea and sort of the beginning stages? And yeah, just, just tell us about that. But please speak into the mic. Okay. Everybody asks me that question. Yeah, I'm trying to think of something like a little more unique. Well, what do you usually say? I mean, which is true. I mean, I, I, I came up with this idea in wanting to design an organization and develop an organization specifically designed for a population that I really felt was ignored and neglected by society. I felt that no one was really thinking about children of incarcerated parents. and. When I did my own research and really tried to find an organization where I could place young people who were part of the youth development program that I was in at that particular time or during that span of time, and I didn't have a referral. I didn't have anywhere I could send them. I didn't, there wasn't anywhere in New York City that was really designed specifically for a child dealing with the trauma, the challenges, the stigma, and for so many of them, like the secret. Yeah. of having a parent in prison. There was no way I could make a referral. So, I mean, I think my entrepreneurial spirits just kind of kicked in, mm -hmm. and I said, okay, I'm gonna start my own organization, and I'm going to target a population that an organization doesn't exist. And I did some research and found some other states that were a little more cutting edge and, right. and had um, some programs designed for young people uh, with a parent in prison. But I was able to use my prior experience of working in youth development and after school programming. I was able to utilize that in the initial model of designing the organization. And then I said, okay, I'm gonna do this. So it's interesting, because you said the word referral several times. And I, I wanted to ask you, you know, why did you look for this particular organization in the first place? Like, what was oh. it that, that made you notice that there was an absence? Oh, when a grandmother or a mom would lean over and whisper, well, his mom's in jail, oh. his dad's in prison. That's why he's acting up. That's why okay. I'm sitting in front of you because this child acted up and had an outburst in the traditional after-school program that he was in, in which I was managing, mm -hmm. and they would lean over and right. whisper, oh, this is the situation. And I'm like, oh, his mom's in prison. Yeah. What do I do with that? Yeah. Okay, I'm aware of this information. Okay, he can go back into the program. 
okay, I'm going to remove the suspension. Right, you know? right, right, right. That's yeah. all I could do at that point. But yeah. after you're hearing that for a few times and you recognize, okay, there's no, there's no way I can refer this particular young person to meet his needs right. or her needs. There's, a, there's, there's special needs that um, arise as a result of having a parent in prison. So I wanted to design that, and that's what made me come up with the idea. So I've been interviewing a lot of teachers in mm -hmm. public school systems mm -hmm. about, here in New York actually, about some of the challenges they encounter, especially as there is a new policy passed by the mayor's office that said that they want to see more programs geared towards social emotional learning mm -hmm. starting as of last year. But a lot of t teachers feel like, okay, but I'm teaching social studies, I don't know how to teach that. Mm -hmm. uh, and so given your 10, year 10 years plus you know, experience with Children of Promise, mm -hmm. do you think the proper response is to try to like, build in a Children of Promise like institution into the public school system or have that institution exist outside of the school system and service the needs of the school system, which is to say, you know, build more organizations like Children of Promise. If you want to be able to have a greater impact, it has to be co-located. They have okay. to coexist. Okay, you have to be able to meet the needs of your young people, e either in a school setting or it being in an after-school setting. If you can provide all of those needs in one building, then that I think would be would much have a much stronger impact on that child and their family's lives. Mm -hmm. So, for us to be able to co-locate a mental health clinic, of course, initially, no, not of course, but. Initially, when we designed the program, we made referrals to the scene, to the social service agencies, okay. to the mental health clinics. We sent the families and called the, the clinics and made referrals and, and, and completed the process mm -hmm. so that that family could now receive services in that particular mental health clinic, you know, in the other part of the neighborhood. Sure. And our families weren't going. There was oh, a okay. stigma around mental health services. There's okay. a stigma around it. Was one kid said to me, Miss Content, I'm not going to that clinic. That clinic's for crazy people. Uh, so yeah. as you know, for Latin and African-American families, mental health services is not part of the healing process. Right. So our model is really innovative in that how do we provide the services that our family desperately need mm -hmm. and need as a part of the healing process they mm -hmm. need the mental health services but how do we provide it in a culturally acceptable way yeah and to do that was a part of our after-school program so if schools are able to provide social and emotional learning techniques and 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 um procedures and policies and and initiatives at schools, then it's really to be able to do that in a way because that's where a young person is comfortable and that's where they, you know, they have to be within a certain amount of hours in the day. So let, right. let's make it a space that allows them to receive the services that they need rather yeah. than just, okay, you, we're going to send you somewhere else right. because of those special needs you have. Right. So you said something about uh, being culturally responsible. Why is it or how is it that there is no stigma attached? to Children of Promise as opposed to those mental health places that are sort of like over there. Sure, sure. I think, again, that's what, we put a lot of work into really designing the model so that there is no stigma around mental health services. Everybody has a clinician. Okay. Everyone has someone to talk to. Right. As, as one kid said to Miss Kitten, I need my person to talk to too. I need my person. And and That's and, amazing, yeah. and he did. And yeah. because everyone has it, it's not, you know what, because of your bad behavior or because of your outburst today in class or the fight you had or or 
whatever other reason that they may find as a special reason for you to go into that special area to receive those special services. You know what? Everybody has it here. Yeah. Everyone has a clinician. Everyone has someone to talk to about their issues and challenges that they may be having or just to talk about their day. Sure. You know, so everybody, since everyone is assigned a clinician, it allows us to remove the stigma because it's one, it's a service and it's a part of our program that everyone shares in. And it allows us to keep this and maintain a very safe space um, uh, modality or a safe space um, concept or culture mm -hmm. in that everyone comes in, they, everyone knows we all have a clinician, it's part of our day. I go to homework help and then I go to dance and then I see my clinician. Oh, yeah. oh, I, oh I go to my clinician first and then I go to academic support and then I go to theater. Yeah. It's part of the day, right. there's no stigma around it. Right. And if not, we're all in group counseling and we're all receiving mental health services that's facilitated by a mental health clinician. And yeah. it's therapeutic art that allows them to feel. It's not just art you put on the on the on the refrigerator. Right. It's art that allows them to express what they're feeling. So mental health services is infused in all aspects of our program. Mm -hmm. That eliminates the stigma. That's a great model. I wish that I hope that that can somehow be incorporated into public schools, because um, I know, for example, that. The alternative learning centers in uh, all around the city of New York, which exists to uh, specifically service the needs of kids who are suspended at high rates, um, are, are sort of dealing with the challenge of entering a transitory state. Because mm -hmm. as these new policies are implemented, um, there's some negative byproduct because the city of New York has a mandate or a desire to decrease the number of suspensions, which on paper is a good thing. But what that's doing is it's forcing a lot of these alternative learning centers to close because they were servicing the needs of the, the, the folks, the young kids who were being suspended, and they were presenting those kids with a better teacher-to-student ratio, but that wasn't what was observed on paper. It was just, oh, we need to decrease the suspensions. And so now we're having this uh, really negative effect that was that was never foreseen um, as a result of that. So I hope that you know the Children of Promise model can be uh, adopted more efficiently in a lot of these public schools. Uh, I wonder if you could say a little bit about some of the progress that you've seen your kids make as a result of being mm -hmm. you know educated and inspired by the CPNYC model. Sure. I mean, the one thing about our model that I think is most impressive is that while it's not one that I can. Um, it's not one that I can actually. Okay, to best answer the question, the impact and the progress that we've seen in our young people is so much more than just the numbers mm -hmm. and on paper. Sure. To say, okay, so many kids are not. The suspension rates have gone down, right. and they've increased their grades by this number of percentage points. It's really those soft skills yeah. whereas our young people are able to first accept the situation or accept the um, imprisonment of their parent mm -hmm. and and not seeing that from a negative position right. on themselves right. and not wearing that burden right. on their shoulders. For which they would then feel like they have to 
compensated. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's first and foremost. Yeah. How do we allow young people to understand the situation they may be in and being able to still develop to be the, your fullest potential within those constraints? Because right. you know those constraints can sometimes, not sometimes, but they can absolutely limit your development. Right. So if we can first allow young people to first understand that. As one young person said to me, he said, Miss Content, you know, I love my dad, but everybody said my dad is bad. And you know, but I love my dad. Can yeah. I love my dad if he's bad? Yeah. And I'm like, sure, your dad is not bad. Yeah. Your dad made a bad choice. Mm -hmm. It's a very different concept. It's a different understanding. So for us to help young people to work through those challenges right that's number one right okay yeah. that's those are those are skill sets that adults don't have okay so, if, <laughs> so. We can, if we can first allow young people to work through those challenges mm -hmm. that to me is first and foremost one of the greatest impacts that we that we're able to then move forward from mm -hmm. and then from there of course it's working with young people from the inside out for us to be able to infuse mental health into our programming, it allows our young people to deal with the issues and the challenges from up here. Right. You know, from how are you thinking? How are you feeling? How are you understanding this emotion you're having right now? This anger because you know what? I visited my mom yesterday, and I and, and the way I'm feeling today, I'm just feeling really upset and yeah. and and sad. Yeah. And you know what? This kid is looking at me the wrong way, and I'm just feeling like I just want to hit him. Right. You know. But you know what? If we can allow young people to understand. Oh, you know, let, let's talk about those feelings. Right. And talk about it comfortably. Right. Not talking about it with like, oh, I don't want to say anything. Anybody, nobody knows, nobody knows my mom's locked up. Yeah, no. in hush tones. It's, 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 it's really for us to be able to eliminate that stigma so that our young people can have a safe space, come in and be able to work on themselves and not even realize it. Right. So those are those are the greatest impacts, you know, and then when I receive letters from the in-prison parents mm -hmm. just expressing their gratitude for us respecting the relationship that they have with their child, regardless of what I might have done, I love my kid. Right, right, right. Okay? Yeah. Uh, and I know society may, be, may think the opposite, but I love my kid, yeah. and I appreciate that report card. I appreciate that letter you wrote me, that Thanksgiving, Christmas card that you sent that you guys made and right. mailed to me. So it's it's it's... Having that connection to the imprisoned parent and them expressing that gratitude, I, to me, is just it's, it's worth so much, and it's that's those are the impacts that are most uh, rewarding to me. I was actually going to ask you uh, about sort of you know how uh, parents in the lives of these kids or the caretakers in the lives of these kids have responded to seeing them develop you know over time. Do you think that any mm -hmm. of that has spilled over into sort of the family domain? Uh, what do you mean the family domain? What do you mean? Meaning the caretakers who are oh. who they who they you know go home with. At oh, night. oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, again, that is one of the most rewarding for me mm -hmm. as the founder of this organization to really hear that the families are so appreciative to sure. see their young people and their children and their grandchildren just develop and really are able to move forward within this traumatic experience. You know, how, so for, for a grandmother and for a mom to just express that, and that may be from the imprisoned caregiver mm -hmm. or the caregiver, you know, on, on, on the streets and on this side of the wall or right. at home, and for them to express to us their gratitude, to me, is the most fulfilling. It right. absolutely has 
um, spilled over because we realized, you know, we can't just provide services to Johnny. We have to provide services to Johnny's mom and Johnny's uh, grandmom. Yeah. So that's part of our programming. Yeah. You know, bi-weekly we have parent in, in empowerment um, workshops. That's we amazing, have yeah. parent support group meetings. So we bring our caregivers together because they also have some challenges in raising a young person who has an imprisoned parent. Mm -hmm. There's some challenges. What does it mean to have a daughter or a son that's in prison and you're not raising his or her children? Mm. So we bring caregivers and grandmothers together so they can actually talk about these experiences and how best we can support them because the more we support them the more they can support their grandchildren or their children so I, I realize that you know as you're saying this and I'm thinking about how to build my own organization how long did it take you all to figure out like how to build the necessary systems to have that in place did you when you were first thinking of establishing this organization, did you think to yourself, oh yes, and it should also have that piece for the for the, the parent in their life or the grandparent in their life as well? Or the, was that mm -hmm. something that mm -hmm. developed as a need that you saw was a need over time? While I had a framework, while mm -hmm. I sat in the basement, and I, yeah. and I, and I, and I said I'm gonna frame that because it was a diagram. I'm very visual, so I okay. draw everything. Yeah. So I had a diagram, and I'm really gonna frame that of what the model was my inspiration and my, my vision and my dream at that time. Yeah. But so much of it then had to, um, it really became what are the needs of the families? I may have had all of my ideas sure. and some of it are very similar. You know, we, I always had a mentoring program. Okay. It always had academic support. It always had support to the, to the caregiver. It, uh, the model initially had, uh, mental health services, but it was a clinician that I felt would have a caseload for the most in uh, need. Okay. I didn't realize the need would be so great. And you know what? We need to provide those services here. Right. You know, in-house. And, and, yeah. and in-house as well as um, our families weren't honoring many of the referrals we were making. Okay, yeah. So I learned so much about the, in, in what would best be meet the needs of our families from them directly. Okay. You know, from the surveys, the conversations, the, the workshops, the meetings, the one-on-one -on -one conversations, and really with Pacific families and children and really identifying how does this framework I have, you know, so it's, I had a frame, I knew it was gonna be like, let's say, a, you know, a, a four-bedroom house and it's gonna yeah. have three bathrooms, but you know what, the, it, it ended up being, you know, we're gonna paint it a discolor, a yeah. diverse, a different color than what maybe I might have envisioned. Right. So the framework is the same, but so much of the services we provide um, have been designed as a result of the needs that have been expressed from our families. One of the most important reasons I think um, for, for you to say that is because of all the social entrepreneurs who might be listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. myself included, who need to know that it's important to be able to be flexible when you're designing, Absolutely. When you're designing programs. Absolutely. You know, and don't get caught and up so much on you know the yeah. first draft no absolutely i mean and i can't even believe it's, it's been 10 years you know but but within that 10 years it's it's flexibility absolutely to understand the needs of your target population mm -hmm. and letting them express and have an opportunity or a safe space for them to be able to express what are their needs sure so that that's definitely i, I think um first and foremost but then it's also, um, for some of the social entrepreneurs listening and yeah. those that are thinking about starting a nonprofit organization, it's really, I, I must say, it's the tenacity 
to have a plan B. Mm-hmm. You know, I think yeah. too many people get caught up in the demise or the, the let's say the failure of plan A. Yeah. Okay? And you're caught up all in plan A not working out. Yeah. You know, I think if we just, I, I, your bounce back has to go right into plan B right. and put the energy into that rather than into the failure or the unfortunate outcome maybe of plan A. Right. And once you can do that and have the tenacity to do it, because you know, you can't get caught it's up hard. like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. daddy get that proposal. And, yeah. you're, and you're, you're wallowing in, oh, I didn't get that money that I, or that, that, that resource or that funding that I thought I might get. But you know what? If you can put that energy just right into plan B and, and, and that allows you to keep going. Yeah. And you know what? That has been, I think, um, I'm very quick in, in, in having a plan B That's good. as well as pursue all opportunities. Okay. Even, so I, I need uh, to ask you about this mm-hmm. because one of the things I've struggled with is like people say go out there and network, right? But like I sometimes am thinking to myself, but what if this is a waste of time? Like what, the, what if know. this exchange of business cards doesn't actually lead to anything in the future and there's really no way of knowing no, there's not and i you know that, that that's hard in that but i used to go to you know a lot because <laughs> i used to drive from jersey come into brooklyn yeah and and i didn't have any space or anything okay it was just how am i going to make connections with various people mm-hmm. okay and and i knew so many of the people that i met they were probably like okay she's dreaming okay she's <laughs> going to start this organization like okay i'm just going to appease her for an hour uh, and listen to this conversation i know some people were probably thinking like sure she's like crazy yeah. all right there's no way she's going to do this right yeah i mean some would even say like maybe you should get a job like some maybe, people would say that straight yeah, up like 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 shan you don't think maybe you should get a job while you try to do this and i'm like oh right because like the startup yeah. like risks. And i'm like uh no i need my time i yeah, need yeah, all yeah. the time i can to, de- to dedicate to this organization yeah but um it's really it, it, it's pursuing all opportunities in that that's what i think got us this far okay because there were so many opportunities that we didn't even know were going to be opportunities. See, I'm calling them opportunities because I found out they were opportunities. Okay. You have to pursue every, what's the appropriate word? Avenue. Every, every avenue, really, yeah. every approach that someone brings to you that right. might be an opportunity. And you don't even know. You really don't know. It's like, okay, should I go to this event? Oh, I don't want to exchange business cards and I don't know. But you know what? It, and I just pursued all of them. Okay. I really did. And, and it was even, worth it. Yeah, it really was. And, and some of them, you know, like my, my girlfriends used to call me like a workshop queen. <laughs> I went to every workshop, every, even though some of it I knew already. Yeah. I knew some of the information, but I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go learn something new. Yeah. It's, it's going to be something that I didn't know. I'm going to learn something. Okay. I'm going to go to this conference because you know what? I'm going to I'm going to meet someone. I'm yeah. going to I'm going to learn something that I didn't know. I'm going to hear about something. And then when we started the organization, I'll give you the best prime example. When we started the organization, we were approached by um well they said they were uh, uh freelance uh videographers, okay? Right? So they came with a little small camera and they're like, "Listen, we want to just come and we want to just take some video of you and your organization." And then they said, "Okay, you know what? We want to really 
then after they said, and when I said, oh, sure, you want to come in? And so they came in and took, take a, took a look at the organization. And they said, okay, listen, no, it's a great organization. And we're just going across the United States and looking at small organizations okay. and just kind of, you know, gonna, <laughs> and maybe we'll go to Sundance or something, they said, you know? <laughs> and then they said, okay, you know what? What we want to do, we want to just bring a volunteer with us when we come. Okay. And I'm like, you know, well, I have my own volunteer. Yeah. And they're like, no, we want to use our volunteer and we want to come this specific week in the year. And I'm like, that was the week that we closed summer camp and we have a break and then we start for fall. Okay. Right? So my staff are all on vacation. The kids, we have no programming. Yeah. But that's the week they wanted. Okay. So I met with my staff and they're like, please, Miss Content, please don't let us come into the organization <laughs> that week. And I'm like, you know what? It might be an opportunity. I need to think of it. We're going to get a video out of it. That, you know, and, and it's a video. And yeah. we can probably put it on our website. Yeah. Let's just do it. My gut told me, let's just do it. Let's yeah. just do it. And they were like pissed. But as soon as I said yes, they're like, okay, if you say so. But that looks like some, you know, they, they were like, they, they Googled the name that they yeah, said was the name yeah. of the organization or the company. And they're like, this is, this is nobody. Like, right. why are we doing this? Can't we just get a video? And I'm like, it could be a video. Let's go. Yeah. So we they come in. When they came back, they had like much more equipment. Okay. And much more, <laughs> much more. They, they, they upgraded their, 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 their equipment. I'm like, and I remember telling my assistant, wow, where are they getting this money to yeah. upgrade to this? They came with a little small camera yeah. last two weeks ago, whatever, when they initially came. Like, you know, what? But I was like, she's like, oh, Miss Content, I don't know. I don't know. You're just always <laughs> looking and feeding into something. You're always looking more into anything. Whatever the case may be. Long story short, they end up being a national, it was an NBC show, Secret oh, Millionaire. Really? It ended up being a national show. And, and we end up getting $60,000 because that volunteer was a millionaire who came under the guise wow. of a volunteer. So he came, he volunteered three days, they videotaped it, it ended up being a national show during prime time. We end up getting like over $50,000 in, in, in donations that particular day when it aired. Wow. It ended up being a huge success. Yeah. But if I had told that guy when he first came with his little small camera, oh, no, nah, it's okay. You know, it's too much work for us. It's yeah. for us to get together, get the kids in here. Nah, it's okay. See, so it's... So it's, you just never know. You never know. And that happened, of course, if you pursue just all of those opportunities. And I know yeah. it is more work and it is tiring and it is... You but know, it sounds like it's worth it. But you don't know it at the time. Yeah. You know, it just sounds like work right. at the time. Right. So, you, you know, so you, you got to respect work, right. respect process, respect the procedure that it takes to succeed. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, a lot of the young kids now, they just want it really quick. And they just, yeah. millions just want it really fast. You know, but you got to put the work in. You want your body in the tight, you got to work out. You got yeah. to put it in. <laughs> I think that's incentivized by the social media world yes, that we now live in. And yes. the dopamine hits that are coming from, you know, these like likes Instant and... gratification. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So, but, so yeah. it's, you know... It's, Children of Promise has existed for 10 years. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, you sort of actually have touched upon this uh, so far, but I'm curious if you could speak uh, more directly to this question. What are some of the challenges that, you know, your organization still encounters? Um, and, you know, just moving into 2020 in terms of where you're thinking about uh, going as an organization, what are some of the challenges that, um, you know, you're just facing? Well, I think the challenges that I have at Children of Promise NYC are those that would be shared by any nonprofit mm. within our size. Right. You know, let's say five million and under. Okay. You know, um, 
anywhere from a hundred grand, hundred thousand dollar annual budget to five million. I think we would we would we would share surprisingly we would share a lot of the same challenges. Okay, and that of course is how do you sustain your organization year after year when there's no product you're selling? Right, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. I don't have any inventory. Right. But you know what? Next year I gotta raise the same three point five million dollars. Right. Okay. And within the fluctuation of donors, the fluctuation of corporations that give you this year and then next year said they can't. Right. Um, to you know the grants that you applied to that don't have another RFP next year. So mm-hmm. you know what? There's no funding in that particular. Right. There's so many variables. Um, but you know what? You still have to raise. The same amount of money to sustain your organization and to grow. Yeah. That's the challenge of any nonprofit. And then, but the way that we've been able, excuse me, the way that we've embarked on that challenge is really to diversify okay. and really try to bring money in from different areas, you know, um, to really be able to, you know, have your foundations and your government grants and your individual donors and have your events and have um, various means of resources coming into the organization which mm-hmm. then exposes you to different markets mm-hmm. you know and then using social media mm-hmm. i mean giving tuesday 2019 for us we raised like seventy-five thousand dollars in a day wow. just by social media so yeah. that is a it's a means of revenue that yeah. we didn't have years ago right right so it is a means now so now we have to include that not only as a position mm-hmm. but include that as i as our as our revenue source on our budget and really how we do we how do we invest in that new resource of, of funds coming in yeah you know in, including and in, you know creating that instagram page making sure that it's up to date that's a whole revenue source that you now have to maintain right and upkeep if you just can't put oh social media <laughs> oh no the same way you can't put grant government grants foundations you have to now um maintain and manage and, and develop that line of credit or yeah. that line uh, that resource it's a lot your, that line on your budget it's a lot of work and also i you know I, it's my understanding that there's another there's another site in the bronx how's that going oh my goodness yes <laughs> no i mean it's exciting but it is a lot of work yeah. it is i mean i'm redesigning twenty two thousand square feet of space right you know but it's one that's going to target another community that's <laughs> impacted um, severely by incarceration mm-hmm. and it's one that allows us to now expand our services mm-hmm. so it's very exciting yeah will be opening I would say within the next 30 days wow yes definitely within the next 30 that's days. that's so exciting it is it is exciting <laughs> but I'm looking like oh my god <laughs> you know and then the work begins you yeah know? so I mean the brick-and-mortar is one thing but then we also are trying to really see how we can have more of a voice from a social media perspective sure and really making sure that when families are impacted by incarceration they can turn to children of promise so now not only in Brooklyn now in the South Bronx right and being able to give a voice for that population establish it as the organization yes that is the goal that is i said that has been my goal from day one in that the same way red cross is the direct response for disaster relief right i want children of promise to be the direct response for any family that's impacted by incarceration that's an amazing goal that's like i was thinking about this as i walked over here i was like these organizations and this sort of like social entrepreneurship you know, I'm doing my own, uh, mm-hmm. my, my own organization. It's like, it's so tiring. It's so exhausting, but it's how I wish I felt when I exercise because 
I, I always joke that like mm-hmm. I actually don't like exercising and exercising doesn't bring me joy and people always are like yeah but you love it at the end of like you know you feel so great I'm like uh, I could do without it but this type of work uh-huh. is like really when I'm in a flow state really brings mm-hmm. me to a flow state uh-huh. so so yeah I, I, I agree with you 100% that like that experience which is also far more satisfying than dopamine than the, dop- yes. than the dopamine rushes that come from social media. All right, you absolutely. Know? I tell my I tell my staff even I said I'm, 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 the, when I work with the teens, yeah, and I'm like, listen, there's no drug that gets me higher than coming here every day. Yeah. All right, I am on a high from yeah. the time I get in my car from Jersey to hit my second state, New York, <laughs> and my first borough, the Bronx, yeah. before I hit my second borough in Brooklyn. Okay, yeah. so you know I have to be high to do that every yeah, day, you have right? To, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love it, <laughs> and I do it every day. It, it must be incredible. Um, what are you excited about in 2020? I'm going to be a little selfish in this. No, please. And, respond yeah. and say that I'm really excited in trying to, because now I'm aware that I have to be better in balancing my life. Okay. Okay. So yeah. first you have to be aware of it. Right. 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 So I'm aware. Yeah. So now I'm excited about how do I really bring that to fruition <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. bringing in more staff, bringing in qualified, skilled individuals to mm-hmm. be a part of the team mm-hmm. that's going to allow me to have a better balance. Right. I have to do that. Right. It all comes, of course, it all comes back down to funding yes. <laughs> and being able to sustain that. Yes. You know, it all comes back to that challenge, yes. you know, but if I can, if I can, if I can meet that challenge, bring in the funding that's necessary bring additional members into the team mm-hmm. that would allow me to have better balance. Yeah, that takes some finessing. And I'm learning that as I've decided to open up a nonprofit wing of Theory of Enchantment and you know build a board and then eventually hire employees. And mm-hmm. I'm in the very infant stages of, of mm-hmm. doing that. And mm-hmm. it's already fun, but exhausting. So yeah, that's, that's, a, mm-hmm. that's a good thing to be excited about, yeah. actually. It's an important, you, one cannot, you know, preach mental health and, and balance in, in the world if they're not <laughs> implementing it in their own life, right? right. So. We, are, we are a trauma-informed <laughs> agency. So how do I do that if, 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 if the leader of the agency exactly. is not taking care of herself? Exactly. Uh, so this will, be, this will be my last question. And I have to ask this question because, you know, theory of enchantment is very pop-centered oriented and pop, uh, sorry, not pop center, uh, pop culture oriented, mm-hmm. pop culture focused. Mm-hmm. So I saw on the Children of Promise Instagram that this past Christmas, a bunch of kids uh, who I've, who I've like, you know, volunteered with on Saturdays got to go to a Patriots game and got to hang out with Meek Mill and DJ Unbelievable. Khaled and, Unbelievable. <laughs> and, and all these, all these incredible celebrities. So what, what was, I mean, I don't know if it's, sort of just like work, work, work for you. But like, what was that like to arrange that, to work, you know, with, to, to just organize that? Were you excited? Okay. Were you like, no, this is just work. This is just a part of the work. And did you have a moment to appreciate the coolness of that or? <laughs> okay, let me see. I mean, it is work. Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. bringing 30 children. Yeah. Through an experience that's just phenomenal. It's a phenomenal experience. Yeah. It's, uh, You'll remember it for the rest of your life. Yeah. Life-changing experience, <laughs> right? But it's still work because you really have to make sure not only is it an experience that they'll remember, so that comes from the organization and 
the process that you put in place so that everything flows very smoothly. Right. Right. So it is work to that level. And it also is work in that you have relationships, professional relationships. And to maintain that takes a level of professionalism even throughout the fun. Oh, yes, yes, you yes. You know? Right. You can't, you can't get forget that. the fun. No, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't. You have to make sure that it's a professional experience so that the next time they want to go to a game, call that organization. Right. They're tight. Right, right, you right. You know? So beyond that, then you can kind of enjoy yeah. it. Once you can make sure all those dynamics are in place, then you can say, okay, we're on a private jet. Right. You know? I just <laughs> right. met the owner of the, the Patriots. I just met Tom Brady. Yeah. I just met... You know, it's it's a but but but, in all honesty, seeing the kids so happy yeah. gets me happy. Yeah. You know, you know I'm not a big huge football fan. Sure. It was absolutely yeah, yeah. a phenomenal. I'm, I'm not minimizing it <laughs> in any way. Yeah. DJ Khaled was cool. Yeah. But seeing the kids get all of that and see how happy it makes them and allows them to just kind of at least for us and and, and it's kind of our a culture that we try to maintain here just to kind of forget about the problems you may be having. Yeah. You know, and if we did that for an entire Saturday. Yeah. For a kid to just not even remember any of those, you know, challenges and problems and situations they're dealing with, to be able to allow a kid to have that for an entire Saturday, starting with shopping at the NBA store yeah. and then getting on a private bus to get to the flight, you know, a <laughs> private jet to get off right under the stadium That's to come crazy. upstairs, you yeah. know, that was a phenomenal day because yeah. I know for them it was just so rememberable. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for. I hope it was good. Of course, yeah, for joining the Theory of Enchantment uh, My podcast. Pleasure. My pleasure. And congratulations again on 10 years. Thank you. It's thank a you. really, truly amazing what thank you're you. doing with the organization. And I, I can't see, wait to see what you do with the next. So. Thank you. The quote of the day comes from singer-songwriter India Ari, who said in one of her songs the following, If young people will talk to old people, that would make us a better people all around. If black people will talk to white people, it would make us a better people all around. If Republicans will talk to Democrats, it would make us a diplomatic people all around. I'm Chloe Valdry, and that's another episode of the Theory of Enchantment podcast. I hope you'll join me next week where we'll have my mentor on, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Brett Stevens. That's it for me. Enjoy your week.